0: of heights to the depths of the
1: sea. But notice the verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning now, when Joseph heard that, reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod the Great, he was afraid to go there, and notice being warned in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And so he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, he shall be called a Nazarene. All
0: exclaiming in his cry Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Joseph had good reason to be cautious regarding Archelaus, who succeeded Herod the Great. So after Joseph received word in a dream that he could return from Egypt, he chose to return to Nazareth, the hometown of Mary and Joseph nazareth was an unremarkable town and it was where everyone knew mary and joseph and the strange circumstances surrounding the birth of their son in god's plan jesus came from a small insignificant place that if it had any reputation this reputation would be a bad one this is where jesus grew up and matured into adulthood now let's join pastor rob with today's lesson
1: Let's open our Bibles uh, this morning to uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Now you'll notice, if you got the e-bulletin, I didn't put Matthew chapter 2, 19 through 23. I put Luke, and the reason I did that is because last week... We only got through the first 18 verses of chapter 2 of Matthew, which really recorded for us these magi or these uh, astrologers that had come from the east and had come to worship Jesus. And remember, they came to um, Herod. Herod wanted to find out where uh, where they were going, what they were doing. And in the process of doing that, he decided that he wanted to worship Jesus too. Isn't that interesting? Herod would want to come and worship him as well. What a benevolent fellow. But we know that he actually wanted to destroy Jesus because the Hebrew Scriptures spoke and prophesied for hundreds of years, even a few thousand, of this one who would come, this one Messiah who would come. And so uh, we know that the Magi were were wise, and they left uh, being... um, uh, awoken by a dream from the Lord, and they they left, uh, they left Herod and did not tell him where the child was and We know that uh, as a result of that uh, the Lord uh, spoke to Joseph in a dream and had his him and Mary and Jesus as a as a young child to flee to Egypt. Because God knew what was coming next, and that was Herod's decree to kill all of the Hebrew children from two years old downward in the land or in the city of Bethlehem, where Herod knew Jesus was. And so they fled to Egypt. And then once Herod had died, uh, the Lord spoke to Joseph again in a dream and told him to return. But when he returned, he found that Herod's son, Archelaus, was now in charge where his father, in in, in his reign, and so they decided instead of going back to Bethlehem, they went back up to Nazareth where Joseph's home was, where his carpentry business was, and they stayed up there. And that really brought us to verse 19. And so let's just read it now because uh, we're going to get into Luke chapter 2. And the reason for that is because after we get to the end of verse 23 here, chronologically what happens is the material, the events of Luke chapter 2, specifically verse 39 through 52. Remember again that the Gospels are a tapestry. And so, of all the Gospels, they can be put together and they can form a chronology. And many have taken that to hand and have come up with a chronology. And so, Just for Jesus' life, I wanted us to see his life in that chronology before we continue on in Matthew next week in chapter 3. And so notice with me now in verse 19 of chapter 2 of Matthew. We'll finish this chapter. It says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared uh, in a dream, notice, to Joseph in Egypt. And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Uh, to Joseph in Egypt. And, and this is the third time that we see, uh, the, third, uh, the third time of a total of four times that God is going to speak to Joseph in a dream. The first time was when Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant, and naturally he needed to have some assurance that, uh, you know, whether to go through with the marriage or not, because this has never happened before. Can you imagine that? It's never happened before, and it never will happen again. There's never been a virgin that is conceived without the intervention of another man. It's just, it's not possible. But this happened. And so Joseph needed to be encouraged, and the Lord told him in a dream to do that. And we notice also, after the Magi's interview with Herod that they, after they had departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again and telling him to take his wife and young son to Egypt until Herod had passed away. And he spoke to him the third time in the verse that we're looking at right now, uh, telling him that he could come back now. And we're going to see in verse 22 also that God is going to warn him in a dream again uh, and that he would not come back into uh, Judea, he would go back up to Nazareth. And so the Lord appearing to him four times. And for some reason, dreams seem to be the way that God communicated to Joseph. And you know, with every person, it's a little bit different. You know, some people, God does certain things with individuals. And, and to me, that's encouraging because when he wants to get something across to you and I, he knows how to knock on our door. He knows what he needs to do. And we don't even have to fret or worry about it. I mean, really understand that, that if we believe that God is almighty God, he is able at any time to speak to you. Do you understand? It's not like you have to strain and and, and put all the thoughts out of your mind and go, okay, I I think I'm I'm feeling something. I think I'm, wait a minute. What is that? You know, it's not like that. It doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to stress and fuss about this. Just pray and say, God, open my heart, open my eyes. And when he's ready, he's going to do it. He did it to me, and believe me, I'm the biggest knucklehead around. When he is ready to speak, he will speak to you. And we'll look at that shortly in in many different ways. But notice in verse 20, it says that, uh, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who sought, notice those. And of course, we're speaking of not only Herod, but his soldiers. Until um, For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And so then he arose and he took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And again, I love the fact that Joseph was immediately uh, obedient to the Lord. He didn't wait. He didn't wait. He was immediately obedient. And like we were saying before, like I was sharing with you earlier, God can speak in many different ways. He can speak to you through his word, which is usually the way God will choose to do that, through his revealed word that he has given to us that you're holding in your lap. He can speak to you in that still small voice in your heart, which you will recognize as you grow in Christ and as you become more familiar with the way God speaks to your heart. He can do that. He can also speak to you through your circumstances. Through changes in your life, he can speak to you. He can speak to you in a dream like he did with Joseph. Like he did with Joseph back, the other Joseph in Genesis. Like he did with Pharaoh. Like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. These pagan idolatrous men, God would even speak to them in a dream. Yes, God can do all those things. But in all of these things, notice that God will not violate his character or his word. And that's something to be very careful of. Because when we were over in Bulgaria uh, years ago, they were big on dreams, and any dream was considered to be God speaking to me. But what they failed to realize is that God doesn't violate his character and his word in a dream that he might give you. Let me give you an example. If the Lord told you that you needed to set your neighbor's house on fire, then would you believe that that's from the Lord? Of course not. You know, but they, anything goes. And anything can't go. It must go through the filter of God's character and His word. Because if that dream is leading me to do something that's violating God's revealed will, it's not from the Lord. Now, there are exceptions in the scripture. And the one that we looked at recently in Genesis 22 is a grand exception where God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. We know that God abhorred child sacrifice. That's what the pagans did. But God tested him, and God allowed that, and perhaps uh, in part to uh, show a, uh, to establish a type, if you will. But so far as I know, God has not spoken to anybody to kill their son or daughter. And I'm glad, because I'd really have a tough time with that. But when the Lord tells us to do something, what is your response? Because delayed obedience is what? It's disobedience. Sometimes obedience or the lack thereof can mean the difference between life and death, can it? In the case of Mary and Joseph and Jesus as an infant, it, it was. Because remember in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, because Herod is seeking to kill him. So this, his response to this was critical. If Joseph just said, well, I don't really believe that, then it's very possible. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It, it, the life and death was on the line here. But he responded immediately. He woke up and immediately they got out of there. Do you understand? And so we can trust the Lord and his timing. And he very rarely will speak to you today about something that he really wants you to do next year. Because if he wants you to do it now, he's going to tell you. He doesn't have to play games with us. And, and I've experienced that too. For a year, I hemmed and hawed about coming on staff here when Jeff and Linda, you know, Jeff had invited me on staff back in 20, uh, 2002, and it was a year later that I just, I, I just hemmed and hawed about it and I came up with all these excuses. And I was disobedient because I think the Lord wanted me then to go. But obedience is better than sacrifice. Remember when Samuel spoke to King Saul... He says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you, Saul, from being king. And Saul had made these many disastrous decisions of his own flesh, and it brought upon him this. Uh, this proclamation of God that, you know, Saul, you've been a rebellious man, and I'm not going to put up with it. He was not obedient. David was obedient. But Saul was not obedient. But notice the verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning now, when Joseph heard that, reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod the Great, he was afraid to go there, and notice being warned in a dream, he turned aside into the region of, Of Galilee. And so he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, He shall be called a Nazarene. Now you won't find the prophet that spoke this in the scripture. Um, He shall be called a Nazarene. It's not in any of the prophets that we have in the Bible, but it might be derived from what was spoken in Isaiah chapter 11. Um, and and what the prophet may have done is combined a lot of different things that they that they knew at the time, and um, and certainly Isaiah eleven verse one uh, hints at him being a Nazarene, and we can look at that. It says, "There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and uh, and a branch or a netzer shall grow out of his roots. A netzer is is an insignificant green sprout coming out of out of the." Uh, out of the the rod out of the ground an insignificant sprout coming out and and the word is netzer and it sounds very similar to nazareth Because Nazareth was an insignificant place. It was up in Galilee of the Gentiles, and the Roman garrisons were located up in that town, and everyone was guilty by association. And that's why in John chapter 1, Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was one of those towns that nobody looked upon. They're just like, insignificant, insignificant. Where do you come from? Hopefully it's not Nazareth. Right? That's the idea. And so now let's look over into, turn with me to chapter uh, 2 of Luke, because immediately following what we just read is what happens next. And again, my purpose in doing this, and it will end after today, is to just give a a chronology, because as we look at this, passage in Luke chapter 2 39 through 52 we're going to see the only place in the bible where it mentions Jesus' adult you know his um his teenage years i mean everything is talking about the nativity where he was born the circumstances surrounding his birth you know Matthew and Luke gives us all of that information. And John gives us information about his pre-incarnate state, that he always existed before he was born into the Virgin Mary. But this is the only place in the Bible that speaks of when he was 12 years old. There's no mention of him from like 2 years old up until 12. And then there's no mention of him from 12 until he's about 30 years old. But we know that he submitted himself to his parents and he probably served with his father Joseph, his father, earthly father Joseph, in his carpentry business. So there's not a lot known. This is the only place it, it, it records it. And there's some interesting things in here we're going to look at quickly. But notice, when they had to, uh, so when they had performed all things and, and the things that they're talking about here are, are the circumcision of Jesus, him being presented in the temple... These things, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord. And Mary, uh, certainly, um, having given birth to Jesus, eight days later, according to Leviticus chapter 12, you can read that if you want to, we don't have time today. But in Leviticus 12, it tells us that she is to be purified for, uh, uh, what is it, Uh, 32 days, or 33 days. So after Jesus is born, eight days later he gets circumcised in the temple, and that's what happened. And then another you know, going forward, you know, thirty three days, then she comes and they dedicate Jesus at the temple, and she offers her offering of turtle doves. They were poor and they didn't they couldn't offer a sheep or a goat, they had to offer turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's how poor Mary and Joseph were, because that was their offering that they offered. And so verse 40, and the child grew, notice, and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Notice that Jesus grew like any other young Jewish young male. He grew in stature and wisdom. Even though he was 100% God, he was also 100% man. And it's important that Jesus, the last Adam, it's important that he defeated Satan in his humanity and not in his deity. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam, because certainly he could have defeated him in his deity, but he came as a representative of us, showing as the perfect man that he could deny himself and submit himself to the Lord and resist those things that the devil would bring upon him and ultimately pay the price For our sins. In fact, Hebrews tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, if I was tempted and I was Jesus, I would fall flat on my face, but not Jesus. He willfully submitted his life to his Father. In Romans 8, it tells us, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that the righteousness, uh, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Jesus defeated Satan in his humanity and it needed to be so. And then he could pay the price for us as God on the cross. But notice verse 41. It says, But his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And we know that the Passover was one of three feasts that all Jewish males were to attend every year. Passover was one of them, coupled with the feast of unleavened bread, uh, the feast of Pentecost, and also the feast of tabernacles. This means that Jesus that this was his twelfth time going up to Jerusalem with his parents to celebrate the Passover. And they would travel with their relatives and other members and their acquaintances, and they would travel in caravans. And they did that for a multitude of reasons. Number one, they could keep an eye on each other, but there were robbers along the road. And that road from Nazareth all the way down uh, to Jerusalem was a treacherous path. And there were robbers along the way. So having a group of people insulated you from robbery and all these other things. But they did it as families. Together they went up. And so Jesus now, this is his 12th Passover. Think of it. His 12th Passover. He knew the city. He knew the reason for the feast. He knew those who were genuine in their worship. He also knew those who were phonies. At 12 years old, the Lord was giving him wisdom. As the son of God, he had wisdom. And it says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem. Because wherever you go in Israel, whenever you go up to Jerusalem, you're going up. Because it's on a mountain range. Moriah is a mountain range. And Jerusalem is a city on top of that mountain range. So you're always going up. And when they had finished the days, it was a seven-day seven feast, so they were there at least for seven days, that as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. And I, I love this. It's just an interesting thing as you look into specific words. And I, I would encourage you to do that. Get a concordance and look up these words in their original language. And you can do that with a Strong's Concordance. Maybe sometime we'll talk about how to go about that, maybe have like a Bible study kind of thing for a couple Sundays on how to study the Bible. But uh, this word lingered is really interesting because it's kind of interesting. Uh, It's hypomeno, which means to undergo or endure or bear a trial. It speaks of fortitude and perseverance and even suffering. So Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, but the word has a connotation to it that, that, that is really interesting. I mean, did he feel forsaken by his parents? Knowing that they had left him, Was he, you know, what was he feeling? Did, did he feel forsaken? Where did he stay at night? Think about it. Jerusalem is packed with people. Where did he stay at night? Who fed him? Did he eat at all? Maybe he fasted for those three days. We don't know as a young person. As a 12-year-old boy, he's probably eaten them out of house and home. And probably two gallons of milk every day. Were people speaking behind his back? I wonder. These are just thoughts. Because they knew that this one. Believe me, there was a lot of noise about Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And they're like, yeah, right. She had a virgin birth. Yeah, we believe that, right? So now Jesus is there by himself in the temple. And you've got to believe that people are talking. Is that the one? Is that the one? Is that the illegitimate son? And so Jesus, is it possible that this word again I think of this word, he lingered behind. What was he enduring some of these things? Were there people talking behind his back, kind of looking down upon him as if he's some kind of bastard son? It's possible. But we don't know for sure.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.